0: a new series today and it's called Stories of Honor and we've been looking at I think throughout the fall really and into this new year we've been looking at this whole thing of honor and we talked about how the North American culture is more of a guilt-based culture and other cultures around the world are more shame-based And that what God wants to do is teach us something about how to leave behind our shame. And that shame isn't left behind by uh, simply knowing that we're loved and accepted, although that's very, very true. But it's also by living a life of honor. There's some things inside of us that can't be cured simply by being loved. We actually need to go and do honorable things and that becomes a blessing to others and actually becomes a healing to our own soul. And so uh, this is quite a, I would say it's quite a radical thought in a, in a Western church to be talking about the issue of honor. It's not talked about much. And we really want to explore this together and dive in a little bit deeper And the way that we want to do this is go through and look at men and women in the Bible who have a story of honor. And the person that we're going to be starting with is taken from the book of Esther, and his name is Mordecai. I am going to summarize the book of Esther in five minutes or less. And uh, there are, are four main players in the book of Esther, if you've not read this book before. It's Mordecai, uh, Esther, King Xerxes, and Haman. Okay? Four people. And uh, the book of Esther is a story of a Jew named Mordecai. He was in exile in Persia. So this is late in uh, in Old Testament history. And he's been exiled along with the rest of the Jews to Persia, first by Nebuchadnezzar. And now Xerxes is, is ruling. He raised his cousin, Esther, who became the queen. So uh, this, the book is about Esther, but really, if you, if you look at it, it's really about what Mordecai did to help Esther become the incredible woman of God that she was. Now, as the story progresses, Mordecai uncovers a plot Of people who want to kill the king. So then he goes off and tells Esther. Who tells the king. And the king's life is saved. Really, really great. Now there's this other guy named Haman. And uh, you should all boo and hiss when you hear the name Haman. Because he's not a nice guy. And he's super egotistical. And uh, Xerxes kind of exalted him as a nobleman in the king's court. And an edict was given that whenever Haman walks through the city gates, that everybody was supposed to bow down and honor him. Well, Mordecai wouldn't do that. And so Haman hated Mordecai. And what he decided to do was not only figure out how to kill Mordecai, but how to kill all the Jews in the Persian Empire. When Mordecai found out about this plot of Haman, he told Esther to speak to the king on behalf of the Jews. And this is his, uh, uh, this is what he told Esther. Do not think, so she's the queen now, and things are going really well for her. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family, your father's family, will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? And so he encourages her to speak to the king, which is a dangerous thing to do. You could be killed for speaking to the king out of turn. But she has them pray. She uh, speaks to the king, tells about Haman's plot to kill all of the Jews. Uh, Xerxes becomes enraged, has Haman executed, and then in Haman's place of prestige in the kingdom has now been given to Mordecai. And this is what's said about Mordecai. He takes position in the royal court. He saves the Jews from slaughter. And the last verse of the book of Esther is this. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. See, he was honored among his people. He was honored in the world. This was a man of honor. You have no idea how awkward it is to watch a bunch of people watch you drinking water. Uh, so, uh, So here's a man who went from just being somebody in exile to now being second in command in the Persian Empire. This is amazing. Talk about a man walking in honor. Absolutely incredible. So what was Mordecai like? Now, here's, follow this, because this is just fascinating, just an incredible man of God. So, but look at this. So what he does, he does things that seem contradictory, all right? So one of the first things that he does is he warns the king that he's going to be betrayed. So he looks really pro-king, right? And then, when one of the king's noblemen is supposed to be bowed down to, he won't do it. So how how does he know when to honor the king, and when not to bow down to the king's edict to honor somebody? How does how does he figure out what to do when? He uh, at the beginning before Esther becomes queen, he says to Esther, "Don't tell the king or anybody in the royal court. Don't tell anybody of your nationality. Don't do that." And then, later, he says, you need to tell the king that you're a Jew and what's going to be happening to your people. Incredible discernment. At one time, don't say anything. At another time, you need to speak up for who you are, for your nationality. And then he helps Esther become queen, super committed to her being exalted in the royal court, and then tells her, to do something that would risk her very position in the position that he wanted her to become, queen. So he does these things that he, he seems to have this way of knowing what to do when. It's really remarkable. What was Mordecai's guiding principle that helped him navigate through the complexities of life, knowing what to do in any given moment. In chapter 3, verses 2 to 4, I'm summarizing it, and it says, uh, so this is when he wouldn't bow down to Haman. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. And so the royal officials asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? And he told them that he was a Jew. So he, there's one guiding principle that takes him through all of these incredibly complex decisions through his life, there's one guiding principle that leads him through all of these things. He was a Jew. In our language, he was a Christian. Just that simple. How do you know what to do when? How do you figure all that out? Well, I'm a Christian. That's, that's how I know. What, a, what an incredible response. you think it would be more complicated than that. But what it seems is that he has a guiding principle in his life that as a Jew he is a man who above Haman even above the king above himself honors God and the honoring of God was the principle that guided him through all of life his question would be how would I best represent God's name how would I rightly bring honor to my king, my lord? So I'm thinking about this as as I'm reading through the book of Esther, uh, amazed by the wisdom of Mordecai. And the question that needs to be asked is at any given moment in time, how would you describe your guiding principle what would be the thing in your life that guides any given decision that you make how do you decide to do this instead of that if you have if you wake up in the morning how would you and you had a free day how would you decide what to do what would be your guiding principle that motivates your behavior what is that thing that's, that's the, you know, the, the true north or the compass that helps you navigate through life and knowing where to go, when to go, and what to say? Uh, let me give you some scenarios. Let's say that you're misunderstood. And uh, at work... You, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and really falsely accused, not right how this gentleman is being treated at, at work now, if you 're misunderstood, falsely accused, misrepresented, what would be the guiding principle that would motivate one comes out of your mouth what what would be the 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 values or the belief that would guide what you would say uh i remember i I think i i tell this story in transformation so if you've been through transformations you just smile and be amazed um but uh i remember when i was uh i was uh going to ubc and i worked in summers i worked in a pulp mill and what that meant is i made a whack of money every summer it was just an excellent job and i could work double time you know over oh it's just really really great and so i made a lot of money and so i could put myself through school and i also bought a new car so that's pretty cool and so i'm one of the few students at UBC, in the dormitory that i was staying at that had a car so i was really popular and uh, there's this, uh, there was this one guy, he wanted to go on a date, and so he asked if he could borrow my car. Um, it, they, that just happened a lot. Anyways, I get distracted by that. So uh, so, he, uh, so he gets, uh, so he goes out on the date, comes back from the date, and he says, Greg, I'm really sorry, but when I was going around a corner, I... I, I think I took the corner a little too fast or something and I, I bent the two rims on your tire and I, I punctured the two tires. And he says, but don't worry, you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to pay for it. I said, good. That's, a good. that's a good thing to say. So what I did is I went to the, I went to the um, tire store and I says, how much is it for, he looked at what the tires were, he says, how much is it for two new tires? And he told me what the price is. But he says, I wouldn't recommend just putting two new tires and two old tires, because that'll throw off your handling. So I recommend four tires. And I says, well, I only have that amount of money, because that's how much he's going to give me for two tires. So he says, well, just buy cheaper ones. Okay, OK, great. So I bought four cheap tires. Oh, I regretted that. They were horrible tires. But I bought four cheap tires. And, uh, and so the guy gave me the money. And he comes back to me a day or two later, and he says, Greg, uh, you ripped me off. I go, what are you saying? He says, you ripped me off. He says, I went outside and I looked at the make and model of those tires and I found out how much they cost. And uh, I paid double. I go, no, 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 those are cheaper tires than the tires that were on. And so that was just a way to, you know, have for the car to handle. He goes, no, I'm only paying for two tires. I'm not paying for four. I am so upset. Okay, so first of all, he's not replacing the rims, but we won't go there. That's okay. I'm I'm okay with it. It was thirty years ago. I'm am I'm, I'm I'm almost I'm almost over it. And uh, and I said, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, I want my money back." Okay. What is going to be my guiding principle? In this moment. What am I going to do? I am misunderstood. I'm being ripped off. And what's going to be my guiding principle? Game gave his money back. Because that's what you do. Uh, it's not right to defend myself. It's right to value the relationship... Over money. And so I had to decide in that moment. Which do I care more about? Money or this relationship? And because I'm a Christian. I chose the relationship. I can give you lots of stories when I didn't do as well. But what's your guiding principle. When you feel misunderstood. What's your guiding principle. If you're annoyed with somebody and you just don't like them very much. What, what motivates you to do what you do? So you decide, I'm just going to ignore them. I don't like them. They really bug me. Just how they look bugs me. They don't even have to speak to be bugged. I really, really don't like them. What's your guiding principle that decides how you treat people who annoy you? What's your guiding principle? when you have two good options. You could do this, or you could do that. I remember now, this was in uh, 2003. We're living in uh, Debbie's parents' uh, a home that they owned, and uh, it was amazing. We had really, really low rent, excellent landlords, and uh, and uh, my father-in-law and I had spent years renovating. We renovated the whole house. I built all new kitchen cabinets. And it was, uh, it was a really, really nice place. And prophetically, we sensed from God that we're supposed to leave that place and look in Vancouver to buy a home. So you're supposed to laugh now because if you, if you know what the, what the you know, land prices are in Vancouver and my wages, that's a funny thing. To think about. And so we're faced with huge blessing from my in-laws. Huge blessing. And sensing something. How do you, how do you navigate through that? And I'll tell you how we navigated through it. Uh, we believed that... Uh, oh, it's just so bold to say. It's hard to say it out loud. But we believed that Christians were supposed to own land in Vancouver. Because in the Old Testament, it talks about wherever you put your foot, I'm going to give you this land. And that we were supposed to believe on our wage, again, this is where you laugh out loud, on our wage that we were going to have land, land in Vancouver. Now, we could have stayed grateful, and still we are grateful for what we had, but there was something inside of us that for the glory and honor of God, we wanted to believe in a miracle. We wanted to believe in something that could not humanly happen. And little did we know, all that, you know, in that time, that God was going to give us six more children and we needed that space. The provision of God, even before we knew we needed that provision. He's so good. What is our guiding principle in the decisions that we make? Now, sometimes when I look in the world, the guiding principle is my personal happiness. It just doesn't get more complicated than that. The thing, my true north, is what makes me happiest and if following Jesus makes me happiest, I'm following Jesus. But the moment he stops making me happy, I'm going to be following someone or something else. Cuz my guiding principle is not the honor of God. It's my personal happiness. For other people, it's logic. This just makes this just makes sense. Logic is great. But sometimes God calls us to do things that do not make sense. Praying for the sick. Preaching the gospel. Turning the other cheek. It's illogical. So I'm thinking that this whole idea of a guiding principle is a powerful, powerful way to live. That it could lead us into places as a community that are truly remarkable that we would agree together as a community that our guiding principle would be to honor God in all that we say and all that we do. When our guiding principle is to honor God, I think we become peaceful. Peaceful. And I think we become peaceful because we know whose hands we are in. I'm here to honor you. This is, this is now your life. It's not mine. And I'm able to rest in the knowledge that this is a life lived for you and not for me. What if the reason why we don't feel peace at times is because in those moments, the honor of God is not the guiding principle. And so when something else is motivating us, perhaps it's only logical that a lack of peace in the presence of anxiety would be in our lives. And so instead of praying, you know, I don't know, Sajid can come up and and Andrew and Leonie and we can have and Janice, they can come up here and they'll pray for you, Jason. Pray for the peace of the Lord. What if you don't need prayer for the peace of the Lord? You just need a better guiding principle. And that if you honored God with your decisions, you might not need as much prayer. And I barely mean what I said. But you understand the point. We also become fulfilled. We become a people who are overwhelmingly satisfied with life because our life was well lived for the honor and glory of God. And whether anybody came to Christ or whether we felt monetarily blessed or... You know, all of our kids churned out. Well, it, we can't control those things. But I can control what my guiding principle is. And if my guiding principle is to honor God, I can go to bed at night saying this was a fulfilling day. This was a meaningful day. I did the best with this day that could have been done. It was a day dedicated to my God. It was a good day. And regardless of what happens, I can't control those things. I can control what guides my decisions. And as this would be our guiding principle, we would be fearless. You look at the life of Mordecai. Fearless. Fearless. Not just fulfilled. Not just walking in peace. A fearless man. Who at the city gates is able... to to stand when everyone else is bowing out of fear. He stands. Why does he stand? I'm a Jew. I'm a Christian. And I bow down to no man. I only bow down to my God. You can't take this from me. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Uh, I think it's called Silence. Silence. I saying the right thing? <clears throat> it was about the uh, last two or three, depending on how you tell the story, uh, Catholic priests who were missionaries in Japan, um, I don't know, 60 or 70 years ago, something like that. I don't remember. No, it must have been more than that. Long. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm really bad with dates. <laughs> It was a long time ago. And, uh, and the, uh, the Japanese officials are wanting the priests to recant their faith. And the reason for that is, this is the logic of the official. He says, if I kill you, it only stirs up more devotion to your God. If I kill you. So instead, what I need you to do is to publicly renounce your king, your Lord Jesus Christ. And they were supposed to step on, the, uh, on, the, on a symbol of the face, Christ the crucifix. And it's the story of their battle. I won't, I won't spoil it. But it's the story of their battle, of, whether, of what their ultimate guiding principle was. And I look at that story and the world understands the power of a guiding principle that is honoring God. And they know that if you do that, your your message will be unstoppable. The only way that I can stop the message is if I can convince you to have a different guiding principle in your life. What if the the uh, uh, what if a significant barrier to the advancement of the gospel in this city and I'll say across the nations is not our poor techniques, is that we've lost our way, in that the church is no longer guided by the honor of God. And what if what was put back into the church was the honor of God? And that whether we spoke or not, there would be a force in this city that could not be stopped. Because there's a people who've decided above all else is to glorify the name of their Lord and Savior. That would be unstoppable. And maybe this is what we should be focusing on. And the techniques and methods can come along after that. So what if our struggle is this? And this is what we've been speaking and it needs to be spoken again because prophetically, I just believe it's so powerful, my friends. And I'm personally convicted. What if our struggle is not, not that we don't feel loved enough or respected enough? And what if our real issue is that we're misguided What if that's our real issue? Now, I prefer the other ones. Uh, If I'm a parent and I say, the reason why things aren't going well is my kids aren't respecting me. If you would just respect me, this could be a better Christian home or something. Yeah, I need more respect. I need to be acknowledged for who I am in Jesus. Or I say, you know what? I'm just not feeling loved enough, I'm not feeling that I'm accepted just the way that I am. That's legitimate. But what if there's something deeper going on that is the source of our lack of peace, our lack of fulfillment, and our anxiety, and it's that we don't have the right guiding principle directing our steps? What if this is the more powerful and immediate concern? Can you imagine how this would change us? That we're a people that honor a loving God and we make our decisions to bring honor to his name, to rightly represent him. In conclusion, please uh, ask the Holy Spirit right now, think of a difficulty in your life. Think of a place that's difficult for you, whether it's in the workplace or... Or your home life. It could be your thought life. What's what's a difficult place for you? And the Spirit of God would want to say to you today what is your guiding principle in that place? Is it to honor God with your parenting? To honor God with your thought life? To honor God in how you conduct business? Is it to honor God? Let's not underestimate the power of a people who honor God. Can you say amen to that? Worship team, could you please come up? As they come up, could I please pray for us? Father, I confess before my friends, I've had lots of guiding principles my own ego, my own safety, my reputation, my just wanting to be comfortable. Father, I ask by the power of your spirit that you would give us the grace to lay down what has misguided us, that has sent us in directions, that has caused us to make decisions that has had words come out of our mouth that have not brought honor to your name. And I pray by your grace that you would come on us as a community and that you would put inside of us a conviction to be guided by one principle above all others, the honor of our King and Father that we would be known as a people in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our failings, that when all is said and done, our direction is to bring honor to our King. Father, would you work in our heart now? Would you settle this matter in our heart today that you would purge our mind from all competing guiding principles and that we would find ourselves joyfully surrendering our will and our mind to our loving father thank you jesus